Hey everyone, welcome to the Behind the Scenes Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Audrey. And on this podcast, we share the messy, honest, unfiltered, and not so curated parts of our life. Think of this podcast as a bunch of bloopers with some truth bombs sprinkled throughout. That's right. We're going to be taking you behind the scenes of our daily routines, our social media feeds, and what you may or may not have seen on TV. We're going to be talking relationships, family, faith, business, basically whatever we are learning about, fighting about, or laughing about lately. We're going to be sharing our daily life, our struggles, successes, and our roses and thorns from each week. And we don't want this podcast to just be about us. So we're also going to go behind the scenes with some of the people who inspire us the most. We hope this podcast feels like you're joining us for a campfire. Come hang out. Hey, you guys. So good to be here. Another episode of Behind the Scenes Podcast. Babe, how you doing? Doing okay. We are home actually now, done with yes. book tour, and I got really sick, got a book tour hangover. Book not tour ac- hangover. Not from alcohol, but just from a lot of work the past month, so well, and I'm just not rides, and All your, the travel Your immune system has just been... It was like Saturday night, we woke up Easter morning, and it just hit me, and I have just... I can probably... I probably sound like it <laughs> yes, right now, you, but you, in you, the recording of this actual this episode... I sound hopefully a little bit better because we pre-recorded this episode a few weeks back. But Yep, yep. So this is a really special near and dear uh, to our heart podcast, or yes. shall I say conversation. Um, yes. We're talking today with John Mark Comer, and few people have had more of a shaping and an influence in our, I would say in our Life and our spiritual <laughs> development, if you will, from yeah. afar, um, right. than John Mark Comer. Yeah. Uh, whether it's his podcast, um, Bridgetown podcast, uh, going to his church, which is actually the f- church we met at. Um, so we met in at... the book, hold on, or okay. his books. All three have just been foundational and very shaping for our just as we trudge onward in the pursuit of uh, being disciples to Jesus. He's had immense influence. But yes, what were you going to say, babe, about the church? Yes, I was just going to say, I think we mentioned this in the podcast, but Jeremy and I actually met at his church, um, Bridgetown. It was the first ever service of their downtown campus that they um, did a church plant in downtown Portland. So that's that's where Jeremy and I actually met. Yeah. So it's just like been a special part of our story and – John Mark, we're talking to him today in this podcast episode about marriage relationships and God's design for all of it. But also, you guys should check out his books because he is a wealth of wisdom when it comes to many other things. We were pinholing him a little bit into marriage in this episode. Yeah, yeah. um, I mean, he's just got so much— He's well-studied, well-versed, and— He's got a book about relationships as well called Loveology, but probably my favorite book of his is— uh, God has a name, and it's his most recent book. And I know he's writing another right now. But if you haven't read or checked out "God Has a Name" by John Mark Comer, highly, highly, highly recommend that book. Definitely go get it. 
Um, and also his book, Garden City, influenced a lot of how Jeremy and I do Sabbath. And yep, a lot of you guys ask us about that. So if you want to find out more about that, check that yeah. book out because it's also a great one on the topic. So, so anyways. All that being said, it's an honor to talk to John Mark Comer today. And I think you guys will ha- find the same admiration we have for him after today's podcast uh, or today's conversation with him. And so he endorsed the book as well, which... Um, also is an honor. Also is an honor. So <laughs> without further ado, here is our conversation with John Mark Comer. All right, John Mark Comer, welcome to the show. Hey guys, great to be with you. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's first of all, a pleasure just to have you on the podcast. You, I want to start off just by saying to all the listeners and to you, uh, you've had a really awesome impact on our education, I feel, and just kind of our understanding of the scriptures and your teachings and whatnot. And so super... And specifically how, you know, we view love and how we approach dating and, mm-hmm. and just also like a lot of, you know, the concepts and things that we share in our book have come from things that we've learned from you throughout the years. And then, of course, Jeremy and I met at the opening service of Bridgetown. So I know, it's kind of a cool, so, like full circle. That's so incredible. Again, I was reading your book and I'm like, wait a minute. I think that, I don't know if it was a first day or introduction or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, I think that's our church they're writing about, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah no, yeah. it was the opening service, first service of, of Bridgetown, Bridgetown downtown when it was. Yeah. Wow. Was that the, the wow. What a small world. That would have been what, yeah. nine years ago, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Wow. Almost exactly. Yeah. Well so, done. Anyways, guys. <laughs> it's an honor and we're really excited to have you on the show. So yeah. um, for those of you who don't know, people who don't know who you are, can you just give a quick like, you know, who sparks, you are, no where you live pitch? and what you do? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, I am one of the pastors and the primary teacher at a church called Bridgetown Church right in the urban core of Portland, Oregon, up in the Pacific Northwest, not far from you guys at all. Mm-hmm. And I teach the way of Jesus. My kind of great passion for life is spiritual formation, um, which is just semi-academic language for the process by which we are formed into the image of Jesus and grow and mature into our real, true best self, seeing spiritual formation come into churches in post-Christian contexts. That's kind of my, what I do. Mm -hmm. So I teach people, I do my best to help people grow and mature and um, help teach them how to follow Jesus in this kind of secular, crazy, hostile to Jesus and his way, cultural moment and context that we find, many of us find ourselves in. That's what I do. I write books. I talk. I've got a podcast. Coffee. You know, I don't think I drink coffee, but I drink a lot of coffee, (laughs) read a lot of books. Yes. Awesome. Love that. And you do a great job at it. So uh, we've we've been some, yeah, we've been some benefactors from that for sure. So why don't we, um, or why don't you just kind of tell us the spark notes of your love story? Your wife is not on with us right now, but Tammy. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, How did you guys meet? Just catch us up to where you're at now. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. So I think your book comes out April 2nd, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And April 4th will be uh, 20 years of us being together, which is pretty cool. And this summer will be 18 years of marriage. So we met, um, I played in a band with her older brother and we would rehearse. So we were really young when we met, let me see, gosh, when we met, 
she would have been, I think, 18 and I was 19, something like that. Mm, yeah. And just children, you know? And um, <laughs> yeah. we, I was roommates with her brother, but her parents have this big old house that had this huge basement with a recording studio in it. So our band used to rehearse in um, his parents' house, where she was still, she was a junior in high school, so she was still living at home. Oh my and, gosh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we would play. And then there was this beautiful little sister that would just come and yeah. offer us tea or coffee or, and I thought she was just really, you know, gracious. And apparently she was intentionally <laughs> flirting with me the whole time, nice. but it worked. I fell yes. for it. And yeah, then we began getting, getting to know each other over a number of months and started dating, dated for a few years as we were still really young and then got married super young. Her parents wanted me to be 21 before we got married so we got married the first saturday after my 21st birthday yeah (laughs) which uh yeah that tells you all sorts of things about my personality and uh it's really interesting it's not you know it's easy to make that sound really idyllic but actually i mean your prefrontal cortex isn't even developed all the way till you're 22 to 24 years old and so it literally was a few years into our marriage before we woke up one day and realized Whoa. Oh crap! What right. did we just do? And who are we? And we're two mm. very different people from two very different families of origins and very different, yeah. you know, background. And it was actually a pretty kind of idyllic dating experience and mm. pretty rough early marriage experience that has mm. been a, a beautiful journey. Um, mm. Not back toward idyllic, but rather a beautiful journey toward a more Christ-like love. Yeah, wow, love that. What would you say was kind of like the number one? Because, you know, you get married, right? And then we're one, but then we have to figure out what that actually means. What was kind of like, if anything, the one thing that helped you guys kind of iron out some of that early marriage stuff? Um, you know, just like in that process of becoming one? Yeah, I mean, I feel like pain is almost always the entry point to growth as in general, mm. you know? Yeah. Whether it's you know, character growth or spiritual growth, meaning kind of your relationship with the spirit or interpersonal relational growth. I just feel like pain is always where the growth edge is, Hmm. you know? Yeah, it's good. And so our pain just forced us to intimacy, you know, because Hmm. when you have a kind of happily shallow relationship where everything's kind of just going great and you're having fun together and what do you want to do tonight? Let's go do this fun you're not really forced to deal with the pain of your own woundedness and the way that your woundedness intermingles with another person's woundedness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, marriage in particular for my personality, and I think much of both the secular and Christian cultural moment right now is so racked by a toxic idealism that it's just a Mm -hmm. setup for disillusionment at best, if not full on divorce or, you know, worse. And so I think um, mm. it forced us to, to some honesty and some intimacy early on, you know, and it's just so helpful to always think about the pain points in a relationship as the invitations, both for deeper intimacy and for deeper maturity in your own character. Mm. So, that's yeah, cool. I, mean, I would mostly, that's a short, that's a long way of saying fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you know? No, that's, that's really, that's really good. Heated that's fellowship good as mm. Emerson calls it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the things um, 
you know, the subtitle of our, our book is pursue creatively, date intentionally and love faithfully. And that's really yeah. like what we are trying to encourage and empower and hopefully give people some some tips and and ways that they can do that wherever they're at in their love story, whether they're just beginning or whether they're 15 years in. And so um, just curious to hear from you, like, you know, when we look to Jesus, Jesus was all about telling stories and asking questions. So what can we like what what encouragement can you give to our generation who's maybe in the dating season or engaged or early years of marriage? What kinds of stories have inspired you or or would be inspiring to our generation to be more intentional, creative, and faithful in our love stories? And then what kind of questions do you think are, would be good for our generation to be asking in that season? Oh, man. Gosh, that's just some great questions. I mean, I think... <laughs> Not to sound overly basic, but you kind of have to start with the question, what is love? Hmm, yeah. Which might sound a little bit weird because I think love is one of those words where we all think we know what it means, but yeah. many of us don't. And if, if you get love wrong, then you're going to get a vision of what marriage is wrong. Mm, that's good. And Amen. then you're going to be failing at arriving at an unachievable destination and missing out on what marriage actually is and what God is actually doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, often when people ask the question that you just asked, which is a great question, like what are the stories, what people want to hear is kind of like the Hollywood notebook esque right. kind of yeah. inspiration right. <laughs> stories. And then the Christian version of them. So like, honestly, I'll let you know in a little secret, my wife and I can barely listen to any Christian teaching on marriage hmm. because we find it far um, more, more toxic than helpful nine times out of 10 Interesting. because what we experience much of the Christian kind of literature and teaching and cultural thing is often just a Christianized kind of Christian culture version yes. of the secular personal fulfillment and happiness through this other human being romanticism. Yeah. So good. Which is, we think actually deeply even hostile to Jesus definition of love hmm. and is definitely damaging to our relationship because what we end up doing is trying to do this new technique or date night thing or whatever creative, not bad things, but often the underlying stated or unstated goal is to like, breathe you know the endorphin based romanticism of dating back into a marriage and <laughs> you know we just always ask man what if that's not the goal what if that's mm -hmm. actually immaturity not yeah. maturity yeah mm -hmm. so obviously all the science if you're just chatting to a secular evolutionary psychologist the science is that you know when you meet somebody you have this massive like neurochemical reaction in your body that releases this flood of you know serotonin and dopamine and endorphins of basically this feeling of happiness that you get from being around this person that, you know, a secular evolutionary psychologist would say is designed to get you to commit your life to that person in marriage and through sexuality hmm. before you actually know what it is that you're signing up for. Because if you knew what you were signing up for, hmm. you most likely wouldn't do it. Right. And it's designed <laughs> to, to push you into marriage, sex and commitment the most base evolutionary psychologist would say it's just designed to get your, you know, sperm in the gene pool. A, yeah, more, yeah. a more sophisticated one who had more respect for the reality of God 
would say it's probably God graciously helping you get married because if you actually knew how hard it was going to mm. be, you probably wouldn't do it. Mm. And you know, that yeah. was, if you read M. <laughs> Scott Peck. So if you're a reader, have you guys read The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck? I don't know. No. Oh man, it's one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. Dallas oh Willard gosh, once okay. said that oh. if he was stranded on a desert island and could only take one book with him, no. I would, it would be this. And it's not even a Christian no book. And uh, his section That's on <laughs> love and romance and marriage is unlike anything that you'll pretty much read in the marriage literature and is the most important thing I've ever read. Oh my goodness. Fantastic. Okay. I can't believe we have the title. Give us we the title one more time. It's called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, who a generation ago was kind of the preeminent popular level psychologist. He's a PhD mm-hmm. who actually um, later in life became a follower of Jesus. So when he wrote that book, he was kind of, friendly to the idea of Jesus, but was more of a kind of agnostic universalist kind of thing, was Mm -hmm. a secular guy. And then he later became a follower of Jesus and late in life did some really fascinating writing around kind of Jesus and psychology. But that book, which sold millions of copies, is a secular book, but it's very friendly to a religion in general and Jesus in particular. Very interesting. Well, it sounds Sounds like a grandeur version of my favorite book, A Severe Mercy by yes. Sheldon Van Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. So have you, so you've read it? Yeah, with Lewis and Van Yeah, Ocken. with Lewis, Van Ocken. Yeah, yeah. So the similar concept in the sense that he wrote, was writing about love and beauty as, you know, just, just a secular, you know, guy. And, but it was through that pursuit, he ultimately found, found Jesus. God. Yeah, mm-hmm. found God. Yeah. The other amazing book on um, this view of marriage is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim yes. Keller. Yeah, yeah we love that. Isn't, isn't so much a page turner, but it is mm-hmm. it's the best book I've ever read on marriage. When I, Whenever I officiate a wedding, I don't do very many as a pastor, but when I do, I have two requirements. One is you have to write your own vows, mm-hmm. and um, two is you have to read The Meaning of Marriage by Tim love Keller. Love that. So good. Yeah. To everyone so listening, wield, wield those... a little pastoral authority while you have it, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I will not right. marry. I will not marry you. Yeah. That's so, right. so you mentioned something that I think is really interesting, um, and it's something we believe in. But I, I kind of want to ask you to unpack it just a little bit. So, if we knew what we were getting ourselves into, right? Many folks might not get into it. Going back to the whole endorphin rush and kind of like that, conv- that, uh, you know, um, physical convincing yes. of ourselves. Which, to, mm-hmm. which is temporary. And that's what I, I got. Which is temporary. But yeah. For it lasts sure. on average two years. And then no matter who your spouse is or how beautiful or handsome or cool or whatever, yeah. it's done. Well, that kind mm-hmm. of begs the question, yeah. well, there is a meaning to marriage and it's not marriage itself. Mm-hmm. So like what, yes. what is, and if it's hard, well, what are we achieving? Because running a marathon is very difficult. and But when you're training, you know what you're going towards. So what is the meaning of marriage? And we don't need to get super into it, but just kind of high level, 30,000 foot view. What is marriage doing to us and why is it hard? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, again, what is the meaning of marriage? You have to step back to worldview. So if you're a true secular thinker, 
there's no meaning to anything. Life is yeah. an mm-hmm. accident. You're an animal, yeah, right. time and chance in your side. There's no mm-hmm. marriage is a social construct developed by the patriarchy in the Byzantine era to make more money for your clan. You know, that's the <laughs> most cynical secular reading. And I interesting, you know, human beings can't live without meaning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even neurobiologically, neuroscientists are now saying that the human mind is hardwired to search for meaning. So it's literally built to take random data points and attempt to assemble them together into some kind of a coherent story Mm. or narrative to make sense of reality. So human beings can't live without meaning. So, so the ironic thing is when we set aside the idea of God and create, you know, creator creation, which comes with design intent and then accountability and then the morality and all of that, and life becomes meaningless. Well, you can't live a meaningless life. You actually follow Mm. that logic through It's impossible to even, much less organize a society. You can't even live as an individual without some kind of meaning to your life other than survival, so I don't know. So people then have to basically develop meanings that are self-imputed into life. So, you know what I mean? They have to say, well, there's no meaning to life, but I'm going to make my meaning justice for this people group or Mm. crushing it as a lawyer or whatever it is. And so, you know, marriage is still around for lots of secular people that, you know, don't think there's a creator and a God and creation and design and intent and all of that. Mm-hmm. And don't, you know, buy the worldview that marriage was created by God. And so for most people in that secular worldview, the meaning of life in general becomes basically to be happy, you know, and this is kind of the post-Freudian kind of, well, if there's no meaning in life. We all like yeah. to feel good. And so, that, yeah. so it becomes basically about maximize pleasure and minimize mm-hmm. pain, i.e. Mm-hmm. be as happy as you can. And so when that theory of life, which is the basic secular Western life philosophy, yeah, just for maximize sure. pleasure, minimize pain. And when that is applied to marriage, it's the same thing. Maximize pleasure, minimize pain. Pleasure looks so like good. happiness. Yeah. Pain looks like any kind of unhappiness, relational conflict, disease, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know. And, you know, even if you're a follower of Jesus and hearing that worldview, you say, that's not what I believe at all. The reality is all of us have been spiritually formed by the Western world. If you Mm -hmm. grew up in it, it's impossible to live in a city like Portland or a country like America. America. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And not have been spiritually formed by that. Yeah. You know, there's a Catholic thinker, Michael Novak, who has this great like threefold, like three levels of belief. And he has, you know, you have your public belief, which is what you say that you believe, but it's not actually what you believe. So this would be Harvey Weinstein standing up at the, mm, was it the yeah. Golden Globes or whatever before the, yeah. before everything broke. And he's wearing the pin, the oh. like, you know, pro women in Hollywood, whatever it was mm-hmm. before me too. He's wearing the pin, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pro- so that's a public belief to the world. Mm. He's wearing the right pin. He's saying the right spiel, right. but he doesn't actually mm-hmm. believe in him. Yeah. Then you have your private belief, which isn't actually what you believe. It's what you think you believe. And Explain then he, meaning, well, let me keep going. Then you have your <laughs> core belief, which is what you actually believe. And you may or may not have that register at a conscious level. So apply this to marriage. A lot of us would say, well, you know, I don't believe that the point of marriage is just to be happy. I think it's, and then they would fill in the blank with some more Christian kind of vision of marriage. But still that might, (laughs) their core belief, like underneath the right answer might actually believe, 
I'm marrying this person because they make me feel happy. They make me want to have sex. And that's basically what I want out of marriage is somebody Mm -hmm. to fulfill me emotionally and sexually. And um, that is for many of, that was definitely my core belief. You had asked me on my wedding day, 21 years old, do you think the point of marriage is for your wife T to just make you feel happy all the time and sexually satisfied? And I would say, no, of course I don't think that's the reason for marriage, but that Mm -hmm. actually was my core belief going into it. And I'd just been so shaped by the Western motif, you know? Yeah. So I say that just by way of introduction, obviously as a follower of Jesus, I have a very different perspective on life as a whole. I believe there's a creator. I believe I'm in creation. I believe that the human body, human sexuality, gender, marriage itself, I don't think is just a social construct. Of course, it's shaped by each culture, but I think the fact that it is through every single culture and every single era Mm -hmm. of history is just an anthropological signpost to the biblical idea that it was created by God and not by people. I think neurobiologically we're wired not just for community, but for soul ties, deep, intimate, soul-level connections. Mm. Yes. And um, so obviously in the biblical theology of marriage, I have a little very simple five kind of point framework of the five reasons for marriage from biblical theology. So if you just take Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, you get four basic reasons for marriage pre-sin. One is put simply just friendship. Like there's that great line, it's not good for man to be alone. And, um, you know, just the the human ache, the loneliness in particular in Western culture now is we're more and more isolated and transient and, you know, trust issues and attachment breakdown. So marriage is just like, not the only, but it is a beautiful place for just friendship, companionship, relationship, being with another person, you know, two is obviously some, you know, I call it gardening. What I mean by that is just a garden of Eden, like in the garden of Eden story, Adam and Eve are put there to take this shalom of the garden of Eden and then to spread it out to the four corners of the earth. This is a, a theology that's later developed by Jesus into this vision of the kingdom of God. And so I think there's a partnership will be the second reason where two people come together to do, to spread God's Eden, his shalom, his rule and his reign out to more of the world and more of humanity in ways that they could not accomplish if they were all alone. Love that. Three is just sexuality. You know what I mean? Um, God created (laughs) in the story sexual beings, like human beings are sexual beings. We have a Mm -hmm. powerful sexual energy inside of us. And God created marriage as the relational container and the only one that is strong enough in a biblical theology of both marriage and sex to kind of hold the sexual power in all of us and energy in all of us. So marriage is this place to enjoy and to express your sexuality. And then finally, family. Um, This is a very long time before the pill. And so marriage (laughs) and sexuality are all tied to, you know, increase in number to family. Yeah. So in a biblical theology, marriage is basically about you have somebody to do life with, you're doing something that matters in the world together, you're sleeping together and enjoying that, and you're making babies and raising kids. Like that's a biblical theology of marriage. Now that's all pre-sin. Once sin comes in, it basically just the first place that wreaks havoc in the Genesis story is in marriage, the first place. Yeah. In relationships between men and women in general and husbands and wives in particular, that becomes like the locus point of the pain that and for a man in particular, but for both tension with the earth, with, you know, Mm. the field and what we now call work. And in light of that, in light of what theologians call the fall or, you know, Christians mostly just call sin, 
you have, I think, a fifth reason that's kind of added, and that would be spiritual formation. You know, marriage is where in, in the safe place of loving intimacy, the best of you comes out and the worst of you comes out. And that's the tricky thing about marriage. Like, you know, in spiritual formation, one of the first things you realize is that the last person to experience your growth and maturity is your spouse or the person that you're closest to. So just think about it. Like yeah. pretty much anybody, I've never chatted to anybody who said differently. The people that we treat the worst are the people mm, that we yeah. love the most. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you were to follow me around with a hitting GoPro looking yeah, for no, totally. in my life, the worst <laughs> moments, if you just followed me around for a week, all of the worst moments yeah. that you would capture would be interactions with my wife and my children, which are so interesting. Yes. It's bizarre. And it's be- and it's actually a good thing. It's because I feel safe with them. Yeah. So if I were to go hang out at your guys' house, you wouldn't really capture those moments unless of something really crazy happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really crazy. Don't take this the wrong way. It's because I wouldn't feel safe with you. And that's not because your bad people are unsafe. Yeah, no. It's because we don't have that level of intimacy and relationship. Right. For sure. But when you guys are with each other or when you're with your child or when you're with your parents, all of a sudden, like you feel safe and you just psychologically, you just immediately let your guard down. And I want to say that the worst in me comes out because I'm tired or had a hard day at work. And actually the real me is what comes out. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is the tragedy. This is the ache. This is the pain of marriage. But the beauty is if it comes out, and then you experience a combination of, and this is, I don't want to idealize this because no partner can do this perfectly yeah. or even, even well, but you experience a combination of somebody calling you on your crap and loving you and forgiving you in spite of your crap. That is a powerful transformational yes. tool in your growth. Mm, if you, yeah. you know, so practically I come home, I'm tired, I'm grouchy. Somebody sent me a nasty email, whatever the thing is. I am then rude and caustic and entitled with my wife around whatever the issue is. Mm. She then says, hey, you're being rude to me. And then ideally, it never works quite this well. But I then, apolog- <laughs> I then immediately apologize because I'm, yeah, I'm a yeah. pastor. It doesn't normally work that way. I apologize. <laughs> and then I experience love and forgiveness and we move on. Mm. That, which happens to any healthy marriage 10 times a day day or at least 10 times a week or whatever that is a powerful transformational tool in our formation into christ likeness hey guys wanted to take a quick minute to take a break from the awesome conversation with john mark comer to tell you guys about our new book a love letter life if you have still not grabbed your copy of a love letter life yet i believe it's still 12 dollars and 20 cents on amazon and it has been just so encouraging to read the reviews comments Mm -hmm. and messages that we've received um, of how this book is impacting lives and love stories so we wanted to take a second to read you a couple of the reviews that we have received that have just been such an encouragement to us and hopefully to you so the first is from shelby she says wow 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 when i bought this book i was thinking i was going to be reading a cute love story How shocked was I when I found myself crying and journaling throughout the entire book. I honestly couldn't put it down. I have been married almost two years and I can tell you there are some amazing takeaways from this book. It is honestly applicable to any stage of life that you are in. I plan on making my daughter read this when she gets older and we start talking about what dating and marriage looks like that is centered around Christ. 
Our entire community group at church bought this book after I raved about it, and they also couldn't put it down. It's no wonder it's a New York Times bestseller. I could go on and on about this, but ultimately, I truly believe many lives are going to be touched by this book. Thank you so much, Shelby, for sharing that review. It's Mm. so encouraging to us and hopefully to our listeners and readers. Yeah, then here's one from Elise. Or, I'm sorry, I think it's Elsie. (laughs) As someone who has read literally hundreds of books on the topic of love, marriage, and relationships, I have a very high standard when I begin a new book. This book is written by a couple who has only been married a few years or so, so I expected it to be light and a fun read, but full of meat? No, probably not. I could not have been more wrong. This couple blew me away as I read their honest struggles, trials, joy, and life lessons. I learned as they journeyed towards marriage. I quickly told people that this book would be required reading for all six of my kids. When they came and told me they wanted to start dating, I was encouraged, enlightened, and even guided by the Holy Spirit to read a specific section on a day I was struggling to communicate with my husband, and then read exactly what I needed to say in this book. So, long story short, you need this book. Your kids will need this book. The focus on God just seeps from the pages as Jeremy and Audrey talk about their intentional living and truly encouraged me to become more intentional in my own marriage. 15 years, and I'm still learning. Wow. Amazing. You guys, these reviews are so, so, so encouraging. I know they help a lot of people when looking for new books. So, thank you. Thank you. If you guys have not grabbed the book, uh, as Audrey said, you can still do so on Amazon. Without further ado, back to our conversation with John Mark Comer. So good. Well, so yeah, many good, was really amazing, good. amazingly articulated points. And just thank you for sharing and elaborating on that. Oh, I think nah. it's going to be mean, that, that's, very valuable for yeah, our listeners. That safety comes from commitment, it sounds, I mean, right? Yes. Like, when yes. You're with- you, yes. You know you're in this place yeah. of, you know, and ironically, you know, and tragically, marriage means less and less. And so for many people, they're technically in a marriage, but they're still racked by anxiety because yeah. their spouse will leave them if they oh, gain yeah, the too much weight of, or can't right. deal with their thing or they got to continually is, earn it. Yeah. So it's just like striving in the Tinder-esque yeah. world or what it's the striving to mm-hmm. earn, you know, but in a healthy marriage where it literally, which is why the, you know, the widespread divorce is a tragedy for our whole society, but in a healthy marriage, when there is literally a fidelity of until death do us part richer, yes. this is why the vows, yeah. the historic vows, richer or poor sickness or in health, no yes. matter what Yes. You know, I might be mad at you. I might yell at you. I might, you know, constantly call, but I will stay. I will f- stay here with you and fight for you. That's a powerful tool. It's so and I think, good. you know, what we often, so often, the mistakes we make in marriage is one, we have, we, we have the wrong metrics for success. So, yeah. I mean, to set on one side, the secular vision, which is many of our vision of what's the point of marriage to be happy. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, what's the point of marriage? Well, to have a friend, to have a partner, to have a lover, to have a parent, and to become more like Jesus. So often, you know what I mean? You can have a marriage that is failing by the secular metrics, meaning it doesn't match the idealized kind of Hollywood, which is so ironic because marriages in Hollywood are generally a disaster. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. match the Hollywood-esque <laughs> image of yeah. happiness. But actually, the marriage can be a total raging success by all the metrics of a biblical theology of marriage. You can actually be friends and partners and lovers and parents and becoming more like Jesus. 
and still feel like your marriage is a failure because you don't emotionally have the same romantic euphoria that you have Man. when you were younger, other people have. So the first mistake is I just think we have the wrong metrics for success. And then the second mistake I think we make is that we rate the wrong person. So rather, this is, and this is just me, like a hundred, I do this weekly. Rate? Rather you than- you, We rate the wrong person? Yeah, we rate the wrong yeah. person. Meaning okay, yeah. like, so, so when I, we all do this inner, maybe this is just me. I play this inner like game in my mind. Is my marriage a healthy marriage or not? Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, First, I get in trouble when I have the wrong metrics, but and I define healthy mm-hmm. as I feel happy or whatever. Yeah, you that's know, so rather good. than friendship, partnership, sex, parenting, and formation. Yes. The second mistake I make is I rate the wrong person. So even if I have the right metrics, I'll think, well, is Tammy being a good friend mm-hmm. to me? Not yeah. am I being a good friend to her? Mm-hmm. Is sure. Tammy being a good partner to me? Not am I being a good partner with her? Is Tammy being a good lover to me? Not am I being a good lover to her? You know, so on. Is she making me more like Christ? Not am I helping her to reach her full redemptive potential? Mm-hmm. And that's the other, because the reality, one of the first things that you learn in marriage, how long have you guys been married? Wow, coming up on five years. Five, yeah. So yeah. I mean, we didn't even start to learn this till seven years in. I think you guys are already kind of experts. So hopefully this is no, no, no. <laughs> we are not experts. Oh, Don't boy, say that. You're <laughs> farther <laughs> down the path <laughs> than we were. Yeah. No, no. But man, I just had to learn. It was such a hard lesson for me, especially, but for both of us. But that I am incapable of changing my wife, and actually, that's not my job. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. You know, and the, the saying goes, the only person you can change is yourself. I can't even change myself. And that's where as a follower of Jesus, you yeah. know, my theology of spiritual formation is, man, the need for grace, the need for community, yeah. the need for teaching and truth. I can't even change myself. That's hard enough. But I definitely right? have, yeah, more more capacity over myself than over my spouse. And any yeah. energies I put toward change should be primarily directed at me growing into a better friend, partner, yes. lover dad and Christ-like person, not toward her. Yeah. So good, man. So, so good. I think we might've quoted you in a, in later on in the book is something like, it's not our job to change our spouse's hearts. It's God's or something. It was something along those lines, but. Sounds like something we said at some point. A, well, not <laughs> sounds like something lots of wise Christians lots have said. Lots of wise people time. have I said. Yeah. Yeah. I won't take any credit for that quote. No, yeah. it was, it was <laughs> Yeah, it was something along those lines, but um, love that. And ironically, point. you know, and this could just be the inner phenomenology of my marriage, but my wife, for at least, really does not respond well to my attempts to change her to yeah, meet right. my definition right. of who I want her to be. For you know, sure. she's not the only one. <laughs> yeah, and I'm guessing that's not just yes. a T thing. I'm guessing no. that's so, not even just a female thing. I'm guessing that's just a human thing. Pretty you know? much, yeah. Yeah, definitely. and ironically, what I found is the 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 more pressure I put on her, and often it's not even some sometimes it's pressure for her to just grow as a person into just a healthy, mature adult. Sometimes it's pressure for her to grow into my preference. Mm. You know. And that's where it gets really dangerous. So, so yeah. we went away seven years into our marriage. We were just, I mean, it was just, our marriage was just in pretty bad shape. Hmm. There's no infidelity or anything like that. Yeah. But it was technically moral, but man, it was not a place of love and of delight. And it was definitely not a happy marriage. And so we went away for a couple of days of intensive counseling with this older couple. And again, we were super young and we didn't grow up in a therapeutic culture or a culture that had a high value for psychology or spiritual formation or kind of the inner world. And so we came into a lot of this stuff later and we did a couple of days of 
just personality testing. And it was our mm-hmm. first time, I think, doing like Myers-Briggs and the disc right. test and all this yeah. stuff. And again, you guys are probably way past this already. And I think there's way more tools now than there was for us when we got married. But it was an eye-opening moment for us to just realize, like one of the lines we heard a lot, at least in the church we grew up in and that Christian subculture we came up in was never try to change your spouse. And that's, I kind of just said that. And it sounds kind of great until you're in a marriage yeah. and you're like, yeah. yeah, but they do this thing and it's horrible <laughs> and it drives me yeah. nuts and I hate it. And I wish they would do this other thing that they don't do. And I really want them to, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think non, I think the general idea is fine, but non nuanced, like love them as they are. Don't change. Don't try to change them. And then there's the secular version that basically says you should love and accept me exactly as I am with no changes. Yeah. Which right, is, I mean, that's like anti-Christian. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For that's, sure. so that's, you let totally. me do whatever the heck I want to do. And I still want you to think I'm amazing. That's right. just, that's not only anti-Christian, it's just absurd. And yet you hear that constantly in the secular mantra, which is mm. why divorce Increasingly. is Increasingly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will never even make it to marriage because of that mindset. Yeah. 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 It's but like we I should be, we, yeah, no, it's like we no, should be catalysts. It's like we should be catalysts for change in each other's lives. Like I, I want to be someone that helps mm-hmm. Jeremy change and grow and mature. I want Jeremy to be that for me. But it's just the how that we do that. That's yeah. the delicate. How do we do that? Yeah, not in a manipulative way, not in a way that's, you know what I mean? How do we do that in a way that God yeah. is God honoring to our spouse and, and to God, you know? Yes. And and how do we, and, and what are the things that we do and do not try to change? And that, right. when we went yeah. away seven years in, did all these tests, the eye-opening thing for us, and again, this is such a like one marriage one-on-one insight but for us, you know, seven years into marriage, it was like, oh my gosh, was just the reality that, and again, this is a Christian framework, but mm-hmm. there are some aspects of each other, both of myself and my wife, that are sinful. Like this is, you know what I mean? In the language of the church tradition and that are just lame and immature and unhealthy and unchristlike. And to want to change those things. And actually part of my responsibility as a husband is to help my spouse overcome those aspects of yeah, her person right. and vice versa for me. Yeah, yeah. Then there are other aspects of a spouse, and this is Trevini's spouse. I'll just use T as an example, that <laughs> are maybe not my preference, but are just personality and how God made them to be and are not moral issues or spiritual issues, their preference and personality issues. Mm, yeah. And often they are, you know what I mean? The very, the backside of the very things that initially drew our attraction, you know, so a very practical example in my marriage would be, you know, Tammy and I, I come from a kind of very Anglo European white, you know, kind of family of origin. Mm-hmm. She's a Mexican immigrant. <clears throat> family of origin, warm culture. So one of the things that drove me, like just totally drew me to her was she's so relaxed and calm and warm and present to the moment. Um, None of which are naturally true of me. 
And I just, oh, I was a moth to the flame. Yeah. I fell in love. <laughs> yeah. The downside of that is she's basically late for everything. Yeah, which you she, can't stand. <laughs> she constantly drops the ball on like responsibility and it drives me up the wall. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And when you're in love and you're like, oh, she's so calm and relaxed and present. And then a couple years into a marriage, you're like, she's always late. And you know what I mean? And, um, but the reality is that that's not a moral issue, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, she's regularly 10 minutes late for things. That's not like a moral spiritual issue. Yeah. That's no. me importing my predominantly white, predominantly Western, you know, middle-class kind of yeah. value system. You make an appointment, you're there 10 minutes early, you know what I mean? Importing <laughs> yep. that onto yes. her and saying, I wish that she was the kind of person who was always 10 minutes early for everything. She's mm-hmm. not. And then me trying to manipulate her into the kind of spouse that I want, forgetting that it's the very backside to the strength that I love about her, that she's so yeah, relaxed and so present good. and prioritizes people over tasks and is more interested in being present and love that's a very good than point. in being yeah, somewhere good. 10 minutes early, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really so good. So that was so helpful for us just to distinguish like, man, there's certain, the preference personality stuff, I just need to basically deal with an honor and keep celebrating the side. Cause you know, what's the line weakness is strength and excess, you know, or what's the Enneagram line? The best part of you is also the worst part of you. Mm-hmm. So just constantly <laughs> retraining my mind to celebrate who yeah. she is in personality. And then tuck back, make a much, much shorter list of like, here are some areas where she is not like Jesus and vice versa here for her. Here are some areas that I'm not like Jesus that we really want to help each other grow and mature into. Love it. That's super good. And for us, yeah, I mean, we haven't done the Myers-Briggs necessarily, but the, or the, uh, the uh, Enneagram has been, of course, the Christian community is going bonkers over it right now, but, but, For good re- obsessed. Yeah. Everyone's obsessed, but for good reason. It has been absolutely dr- like phenomenal in, in a dramatic way on how Audrey and I are like, oh, <laughs> like I, I'm understanding a lot more about yeah. you yes. and about me. So that's that's good to hear. Well, John Mark, I know we're kind of wrapping up on our, our time here, uh, but there is one more question we had if you sure. if were yeah, able go. to go through it. Be, just being a pastor, being kind of involved and in love stories and marriages and whatnot, what do you see given the current state of America, Western culture, what do you see as the biggest threat to love stories? Like if you were to like hold up a warning sign and say, hey, watch out for this, this is a roadblock. People say there's no such thing as shortcuts in life and I don't believe that. I think there are a lot of shortcuts and they come mm-hmm. from There's people definitely that are, detours in life. There's definitely yes, detours in life. <laughs> and so if you could say to us and our audience, our listeners, like, hey, like, this is what I see as a huge threat to current modern day love stories. What would that be? Yeah. I mean, I think it, the two things that immediately come to mind is one, what we've mostly been chatting about the idealized Hollywood slash Instagrammy yeah. vision of love and marriage as an endorphin rush that lasts mm-hmm. for two years. And then how do we prolong that? Mm-hmm. I think that is, is the root cause behind you know, you combine Hollywood with Instagram with a secular culture that has no meaning. So happiness becomes the default meaning. And yeah. you have a lethal combination. Jonathan Haidt, if you've not read his little book, The Happiness Hypothesis, Jonathan oh. Haidt, great thinker. That's has on my great, list. 
Yeah, good, fantastic. There are, you could probably find the images online, just Google them and, or you could probably put them in the show notes, has these two great graphs and there's sociological data behind them. It's not just his opinion or theory mm-hmm. on what he calls the passionate marriage or relationship versus what he calls the companionate marriage. Hmm. And he tracks two different like levels. One is the level of passion. And what he means by that is emotional euphoria and intensity around this other person. And the other is companionship, a deep sense of like intimacy, soul connection, friendship, shoulder to shoulder companionship. And first he has a graph that shows you over six months and basically the passionate thing skyrockets up to the top Mm. of the chart within like a week or two or three and is basically at the top for in his, most of the literature I've read says two years, but in his it's six months. And then it basically plummets back down the other end. Meaning you meet somebody, you fall in love, you go crazy, like, ah, and then there's like this crash, whether it's six months or two years in or whatever. And then it basically never recovers. It basically teeters along right along the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then he show, and then the companionate marriage basically has this tiny little low, barely, you barely see it's very, almost near the bottom, almost see no growth curve. You can imagine like a, a graph <laughs> in your mind. And then he goes, and then he gives you the 60 year version, not the six month version, but the 60 year version. And basically what you see is that other than that initial spark and passion, Passion basically just kind of hovers up and down along the bottom for the whole 60 years. And the companionate thing basically starts at the bottom and just gets higher and higher and higher. Fascinating. I love that. I love that. And it's just another way of viewing what marriage is and what is a successful marriage. So anyway. Yeah, that's really good. We will search that and put it in the show notes or figure out a way to get that to people. Fantastic. That's amazing. Just Google Jonathan Hay, we will passionate companionate marriage and the right images should come up and you'll just be like, Oh my gosh, especially if you're married to be like, that is so true. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. I love that. And the other, I think big challenge that comes to my mind is just soul ties and, um, deep sexual deformation through kind of what the new Testament would call sexual immorality, what Mm. our culture would just call the progressive view of sex. Mm-hmm. And what it's doing to couples, you know, everything mm-hmm. from pornography to adultery, which is a little bit easier to see how those are wreaking havoc in marriages, but even in couples sleeping together before marriage, which is becoming mm-hmm. the new norm, even inside the church. And I yeah. think they often don't realize, even if they, even if literally they are virgins when they get engaged and they just sleep together in engagement before marriage and they've never slept with another person. I don't think people realize what that actually does, the way that right. that breaks trust that becomes yeah. incredibly important later in a marriage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think it's wreaking havoc in marriages. It's wreaking havoc. You know, the real tragedy is that it, it disproportionately benefits both divorce culture and the progressive sex ethic. Ironically, you would never hear this in the news, but it disproportionately affects uh, benefits men over women. Mm, by benefits, yeah. I don't mean that by um, Christian metrics of benefit, but by secular metrics. So you won't sure. hear this in the news, but any, if you sit down with it, again, evolutionary psychologists, which I just like to hear them kind of articulate yeah, interesting. reasoning for some Judeo-Christian morality. Yeah. What if, if you were with 
you know, Jordan Peterson or pick your right. famous evolutionary psychologist of choice. What they would say, and, and again, we cringe, I cringe hearing this, much less saying this, but there's so <laughs> much scientific and sociological data behind this that to, to refute it other is just kind of foolish. Yeah. Basically, they would say that generally men are primarily attracted based on physics and sexuality to women. Hmm. And women are gen again, this is not all women, just as a yeah. general rule, but there's so much evidence. It's like very course, safe yeah. to say as a general rule, women are more attracted to status. Now status can look like money. It can look like six pack abs and killer triceps. Interesting. It can look like rock huh. star fame. It can look like he's the best rock climber in the gym. It can look like anything. Yeah. They would also point out that sociologically, um, if you look at socioeconomics, men will regularly marry down the socioeconomic ladder and women almost never will. Very so, interesting. And That's crazy. This is just data. This is, I'm not moralizing yeah. any of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right right, right. It just is. Um, you know, which is why it'll often, a wealthy, whatever, you know, went to Harvard, will often marry somebody that was a stewardess on his, you know, United flight or whatever, but you'll rarely see the opposite. And um, so almost true. never. And yeah. if you follow that logic through, men gain status as a general rule with time. So most 40-year-old men have more status than 20-year-old men. Mm -hmm. And youthful sexual appeal, no matter how beautiful a woman is, generally decreases with age and especially with childbearing. So, so interesting. you yeah. look at this. That Sexually, is, if a man can get sex without marriage yeah. and or just look at remarriage, it's much easier for a divorced 45-year-old man or let's say 50-year-old man to remarry than it is for a woman, just statistically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So widespread divorce culture, which is pitched as women's liberation and you're free to be you and don't live under the oppression of commitment or whatever, it actually disproportionately allows men to be perpetual adolescents have yeah. sex with whoever they want, not wow. grow up. And if they don't like their wife anymore, divorce her and get somebody that they find more sexually attractive. And it is wow. a tragedy for our society, for women in particular in our society and for the church. So all that to say, I think the two yeah. greatest threats yeah. to marriage inside and outside of the church right now are idealization around a passionate view of marriage rather than a companionate view and sexual immorality and soul ties with people that end up wreaking havoc in marriage long-term and doing injustice toward women in particular. Wow. wow. Well, mind feel is free blown. to edit. My yeah. mind is blown. No, 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 offended. Oh, it is no, no, so no. That's good and amazing, so necessary. And I'm really glad you followed up and finished up with that. Cause it's just, I yeah. wish we could keep on talking, John Mark, <laughs> but I know we are out of time. Well, it's been amazing. Let's have it's been coffee so soon good. Let's yes. have coffee soon. Where can people find you, John Mark? Just real quick, you know. Uh, my name, John Mark Comer, C O M E R. I have a website, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and that stuff. Just my name. Pretty easy to. And find. your podcast yeah. is. Yes, I'm, I teach regularly at our church, which is Bridgetown Church. We have a podcast there where I teach on practices for the way of so Jesus as well as from the Bible, and then I do a little podcast called This Cultural Moment with my buddy Mark Sayers, who's an Aussie, where we kind of deconstruct secular post-Christian culture for followers of Jesus in the West. Awesome. John Mark, it has been Thank a you, pleasure. Mark. Let's do this soon again. 
Sounds fun. I would love that, you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm so Thanks. grateful in a world where marriage is just, you know, divorce is through the roof and the gift that you guys mm. are to the church at large and the country at large and the world at large, man, and how you're using your story and honesty and hopefulness and resources to build. I can't think of really a better thing to give your life to. So, yeah, well, amen. well thank you for that. Yeah. May the book yeah. do a lot of good in the world. Yeah, Thank that's, you so that's much. our prayer. That means so. a lot. Yes. Well, it's been a pleasure, John Mark. Look forward to talking again All soon. All right. Talk soon. You got it. Much love, yeah. you guys. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wow. What a conversation with John Mark. So you probably, probably have to rewind a little bit on that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Back 15 seconds a bunch for that. Um, we, we listened to it a couple times ourselves. Um, He's just got a lot of great things to say. So, so, so good talking with him. Go give him, go give him a follow. Grab one of his books. Um, babe, what's going on this week? couple announcements for you guys this week. The first is, in case you guys did not see, we released the Love More sweatshirt that Woo! you guys have been asking for for a while. These... And just to give you guys the backstory on these sweatshirts, we were not originally planning on... no selling these sweatshirts um but they were actually gifts that we sent out to a bunch of our friends and mentors and people who have inspired us along the journey of writing our book a love letter life and then people started seeing them and asking about them and how they could get them so we decided well let's just make them available for everybody else yep. so so these are inspired by the book they and are due to thousands of requests and popular demand we're like you know what these would make a really good message yeah, so it's we, kind of so, a way to continue the message that we are trying to get across in the book, yeah. in a way. And the font that is the love more on the front of the sweatshirt is actually the same typewriter font that's in the book, too. So yeah. um, basically, the idea is just, you know, there's always more ways that you can creatively, intentionally and faithfully love your spouse um, or be crafting your own love letter life. And so yeah, and we for, hope that for it's, me, it's an encouragement to you guys as yeah. you rock your sweatshirts. And for me, it's just culture at large. Like as believers and Christians, like we're supposed to be marked by loving. And I think if we get back to the real, you know, definition of that, uh, not just our life, but everything would look a lot healthier. And so, um, yeah, it's just a message that that we believe in. And so now they're available. If you want to grab one, you just go to alwaysmore.com and find it on the homepage there. So And they're on sale right now for launch. Not sure exactly how long they're going to be on sale for, yeah. but they are on sale right now. So if you want to grab one and limited stock on them. So uh, run if you want one before they go. Yeah, yeah. And if you guys are still one of the few people who have not grabbed your copy of A Love Letter Life yet, we encourage you to do so. You can download the Audible version of the book, which Jeremy and I recorded. So it's our actual voices reading the story to you. Or you can go grab a physical copy of the book anywhere books are sold. Amazon, I think, is still selling it for $12.20 right now on a massive sale, 55% Last off. Last I checked. So if you want to grab one there, you can do that as well. And last thing, we just want always want to remind you guys, every episode, we buy five of you coffee. All you have to do to be entered to get coffee on us is screenshot this week's episode or today's episode and share it to your Instagram stories and tag us. And we pick five of you to buy coffee every time every we release an episode. Every single episode. So that means Tuesdays and Thursdays, we buy five of you coffee. As Audrey said, you just got to share 
a screenshot to your stories, tag at Jeremy Roloff, at Audrey Roloff, at Behind the Scenes Podcast, and you're entered to win. Um, that's all. It's a lot of information. <laughs> it's so good being back with Ember. Yes. Like for good, you know, because yeah. we were yeah. coming back on tour, but you guys, she's just such a bundle of joy. Yeah. But she's definitely getting to that point where it's like, okay. She's definitely in mama mode now that we're back. Well, now she's in mama she's mode, but she's that, starting to... Realize what she's been missing out on the past few weeks. Yeah, but I'm more saying like, you know, she's almost two. Yeah. And we can tell. Oh. <laughs> she's starting, 19 to, months. starting to want her things her way. So we're going to have lots of fun conversations about that in the future. <laughs> All right, you guys, uh, we appreciate you. Thank you. And we will talk to you next week. Always no, a Thursday. We'll see you Thursday. We'll see you Thursday. <laughs> Always a pleasure. All right, until next time. Bye, guys. Bye.